You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 40. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. This episode is sponsored by usualwines.com. Go check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use our discount code MOTHERGOOD for $8 off your first order and try your first glass of wine on us. One thing I really like about Usual Wines is that their wine comes in single serve portions. Every bottle is 6.3 ounces, so that's basically a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine, which is perfect for someone like me whose husband doesn't really enjoy bubbly wine. And so now I can finally just have my glass of bubbly wine and not have to just waste the rest of the bottle. Their wines come from world-class American viticultural areas in California, including Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara. And another thing that I love about Usual Wines is that they are low carb and have zero grams of sugar. I just discovered recently that wine in the U.S. is allowed to have over 60 additives and that sugar is allowed to be added into wine. And sugar is actually an additive that's allowed to be put into wine. But Usual Wines only uses the sugar from the grapes themselves and then they ferment the wine until there's no more sugar left in the wine. So that's how you get a wine with zero grams of sugar. So be sure you go check out Usual Wines at www.usualwines.com and use our promo code MOTHERGOOD for $8 off your first order. Welcome to another episode of the Mother Good Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This summer is the second anniversary of Mother Good. It was founded two years ago over the summer, and it's also the one-year anniversary of us launching our podcast. So in celebration of Mother Good's founding and also of this podcast, I thought I would do things a little bit differently and have an episode where it's just me talking and explaining the reason why we started Mother Good, the reasons for it, and also my postpartum journey with my first child, Kate, and that's kind of tied in together with the reason for founding Mother Good as well. I know I've shared bits and pieces of my postpartum journey in different episodes, but I haven't really shared my entire story from beginning to end, and so I thought it would be good just to have an episode to explain everything and so you know where I'm coming from, and also just as an educational background and informational background as well for all moms listening, if you have experienced something similar or have some sort of pelvic floor issue. And as a reminder, as with all of our episodes, that nothing in this episode is medical advice and it is for informational purposes only. I'm not a medical professional by any means. I'm just sharing my personal story in this episode for informational purposes only. So a couple years ago, it was the summer of 2018. My daughter Kate was about six months old and I just remember sitting on the couch thinking and wishing that I had a resource similar to 
to motherhood, which didn't exist at the time, for mothers that was real, authentic, and also evidence-based. When I was expecting my daughter Kate, I mostly came across mom blog articles that were mostly like touchy-feely and sort of glossed over the difficult aspects of motherhood, which when I found myself in the midst of motherhood, you know, I wish that there was some sort of resource that I had that just gave a more realistic experience of motherhood so I knew what to expect and so I wasn't so blindsided by everything. Now on the flip side, I had also read a lot of articles that just made it seem like motherhood was the most miserable experience ever. So I was really looking for something more in between, something that was realistic and then positive at the same time. And after I had gone through my postpartum journey and healing and in the summer of 2018, I was still physically in pain from having my daughter Kate and I was still doing physical therapy and still recovering. And I was just shocked that I had never known about the condition that I had. And so that's where the evidence base came into play that I was really wishing that there was something out there, a resource for moms that was more evidence-based. I know that there is the app, like the bump and what to expect. And there's some other apps too, which those are great, but they're more surface level and they don't really discuss with experts like we do on our podcast or we've done on our blog in the past about different types of issues that mothers may experience in their own lives or in their children's lives as well. And so I approached one of my really good friends, Lauren Michelle, who helped found Motherhood as well. And she was really interested in being a part of the organization. At the time, she hadn't started medical school yet, so she had a lot more time on her hands. And now she's in the thick of third year of medical school. So obviously she isn't as involved as she wishes that she could be. But it was really nice to have that foundation of someone who is actually in the medical field help start Motherhood as well. So I'll just kick it off and start talking about my postpartum journey and my story that I'm about to share is going to be the first of many stories from other moms who are going to share their unique stories as well. We will start having some episodes that feature motherhood stories that illustrate common but not well-known medical issues or other unique stories related to either motherhood or our children. So if you're listening to my story and listening to this episode today and you think, hey, I have a really unique story that I really think could help others. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be medical. It could be something else that you realize related to motherhood and later learned that many moms have gone through a very similar situation as you and you think that your story could help other moms, then just send us an email at mothergoodco at gmail.com or feel free to send us a direct message in our Instagram as well. We would love to have you on the show and interview you and hear your story. So with my postpartum story. I had a healthy and normal pregnancy. I exercised. I felt like I did everything the quote right way. I researched a lot about what you should and shouldn't do during pregnancy, which I'm sure every single first time mother researches and does, you know, and tries to do everything perfectly in the the right way. I had all my apps that I checked regularly and I was following all the recommendations I was reading online and whatever my doctor said. And I always tried to come up with good questions at my appointments, those sorts of things. So I thought during my pregnancy, I was doing everything the right way. Now, Obviously not everything during my pregnancy was very ideal. For example, I had at the time a really crazy work schedule and driving schedule. So my husband and I had just gotten married a few months before I got pregnant. And so we lived halfway between our jobs just in the beginning until we could figure out, you know, what we were going to do in terms of where we were going to live permanently 
currently. So we were renting an apartment in Ventura County. And at the time I was working in Los Angeles County and it was a one and a half hour commute one way from where we were living in Ventura County to Los Angeles County to my job. And so that was a three hour commute every single day, which obviously isn't necessarily the best thing for anyone to do in general, but especially when you're pregnant. So when I was pregnant and I had morning sickness, which at the time I thought was bad morning sickness, but now with this pregnancy, that I'm six months pregnant with our second. This this pregnancy now that I have, the morning sickness was a lot worse uh, than my first pregnancy. So now I look back and think, oh, my morning sickness with my first Kate was really, it was a breeze. You know, it was, it was super easy. So anyway, normal pregnancy, tried to be healthy and exercise, but I did have some not ideal circumstances such as a long drive, a stressful job, but I did my best given the situation. Now, I remember when I was pregnant that I read in so many different resources that exercising during pregnancy is really good. And so I made sure that I continued to exercise. I lifted weights, not intense weights. I had already been lifting before and my doctor cleared me for lifting them, but I, I did an exercise regimen of lifting light weights and, you know, just try to stay toned and fit and all this because I, I wanted a shorter <laughs> delivery. <laughs> I laugh now because my delivery was really long. You know, it was anything but short. So here I am trying to prep for having a short delivery and then it's the longest (laughs) ever. And one thing I also did during pregnancy, not very religiously, but still regularly, was I did Kegels, which I'm sure you've listened to our episode on that you shouldn't do Kegels with Dr. Betsy Caldwell, which I highly recommend you go check out. If you haven't, it's just a mini-sode. It's about 10, 15 minutes, so it doesn't take that long to listen to, but I did do Kegels during my pregnancy. And I'll just put a footnote there in the conversation because I'm going to come back to this and talk about why I wish I didn't do the Kegels during my pregnancy and why I wish I didn't necessarily work out the way that I did work out, which no one told me. And I wish someone would have told me during pregnancy what to avoid and what what to do and not what not to do, basically. So when the time finally came when I went into labor with Kate, and I'm not going to go into all the details of my delivery because that would probably be an entire another episode. And and so I'm not going to get into all those details. I know most moms like birth stories, but not not everyone likes a birth story. But it was a really long delivery. I ended up delivering Kate 26 hours vaginally after my my water had broke. So I was technically, I probably should have been a C-section. My doctor has the lowest C-section rate at the hospital that I deliver at. So that's probably the only reason why I didn't have a C-section. He has more experience. And so he knew I could go a few more hours. And so I was really thankful that he allowed me to do that. But again, during delivery, I did everything I thought was the quote right way in delivery so that I wouldn't slow down delivery. You know, I had this whole plan with my OBGYN that I would, you know, walk around, do all these exercises during delivery. Nothing worked. I just was completely stalled. You know, no amount of walking, no amount of relaxation, no amount of birthing positions that I got into. Nothing really sped up labor, unfortunately, on its own. Looking back on it, if I had to guess, and obviously I'm not a medical expert, I had back labor the entire time I was in labor with my daughter. And 
And after 12 hours of back labor and I had no pain meds because I was just trying to make this labor progress, but it wasn't progressing. I was just so tired, you know? So I think that me just being so physically and mentally exhausted from the extreme back labor pains was, it's just, it was just counterproductive to actually getting labor to progress. So I just remember when I was in labor after having back labor for 12 hours, there was a point where the nurse asked if I wanted an epidural. And my thought was, wow, if I don't get an epidural right now, I would rather die. (laughs) Because I guess I just had given up mentally at that point. I just didn't feel like I could mentally go on with the back labor if I'm already giving up mentally, that's that's not a great sign. So I should probably just go ahead and get this epidural. So I got it and definitely helped a lot. You know, it definitely helped, re- helped me relax and ease the pain and everything. And my labor did end up progressing more after I got the epidural eventually. So that was helpful. And then I ended up delivering my daughter the next morning, which was New Year's Day, January 1st, which was very memorable. The actual pushing part wasn't that bad because I still had the epidural in me. So that was... That was a positive. But once the epidural wore off, that is when I found myself in excruciating pain. And at the time, I thought it was normal pain because obviously, you know, who can go through labor and come out pain-free, right? So here I am sitting in the hospital bed thinking, oh, this is all normal pain. And I, when I tried to get up for the first time too, I just, it was very difficult to walk and not, it's hard to explain this part. It was, it felt like my bones had almost broken. Something in my pelvis just didn't feel right. But again, it was, it was so early on. So I didn't know if it was normal or not. I just remember sitting in the hospital bed and the hospital bed was so painful. Well, at the time I thought it was the hospital bed that was terrible, but looking back on it, I think it was just because I was in a lot of pain. It hurt to sit, it hurt to walk. You know, there was really no position that I could get in that would alleviate my pain. And for lack of a better way of describing it, it wasn't crotch pain that I was experiencing. It was actually the bones that if you if you feel when you sit on the bones, they're called sitting bones is a colloquial term for it. So that's actually what was hurting me. So it hurt really bad to just sit or stand because you use those same bones. So there was no real position I... I could get into that would help and even the pain meds that I was given they didn't they didn't really do anything to alleviate that sort of pain the the meds that I got was more alleviated the crotch pain for lack of better term so I get home from the hospital you know still can barely walk and walking is always painful really painful to go up and down the stairs so hard for me to get in and out of bed Again, I'm just so clueless and thinking, oh, this is, you know, this must be how all women feel. And I, I was like, wow, how, how the human race survive if, you know, you're just so crippled after giving birth. And I, I had no idea that what I was experiencing wasn't really normal, nor, normal after birthing pains. So I tried to take it easy, but looking back, I probably should have rested even more given the injury that I had because I had no idea that, for example, going up and down the stairs wasn't such a great idea for the condition that I had. So about a month postpartum, it was about four weeks postpartum, I decided to try out my baby carriers that I hadn't tried out yet. You know, as a new mom, I was just so excited to try all the cool gadgets that I'd gotten from my baby shower and just excited to try all the different mom things and baby things. So I strapped in Kate and she, I don't even know what she weighed at that time 
time, probably at, you know, four weeks, still weighed 10 pounds or less. So I strapped her in and then I went on just a really mild walk, like a mile or so, because I'd heard from so many moms, you know, my mom, my friends, they all just walk like a few days after labor and they have all told me, oh yeah, it's good to get up and walk. And obviously, you know, in general, my OB appointments that the doctors had told me that it was okay to walk after giving birth, whatnot. So here I am four weeks postpartum and just finally trying to walk. And at the time, I think I more tried to go on a walk just because I thought this is the thing to do. You know, I have to get get back in the saddle, you know, get my body moving. Maybe that'll help heal everything. So I go on a very slow, mild, one mile walk with my little newborn in my newborn carrier. And then after the walk, I was limping and I was in so much pain. And I just remember being so confused thinking, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I limping after walking? Every single other mom I know just walks, you know, a few days after giving birth. And then some moms I can barely even tell that they have given birth because they just jump right into everything that they've been doing. So I was just very confused. After I had gone on that walk, then I messaged my doctor and then they brought me in and I saw, I think it was either a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. And then basically they just said, yeah, sometimes at four weeks postpartum, some women are still in bad shape. So let's see how you're doing at your six week checkup. So I come back and my six week checkup. And I think this is one of the things I was most disappointed at in the whole pregnancy and postpartum experience. So as every mom knows, you have all these OB appointments. And then after you give birth, you just go to your six week checkup and they just do this very quick examination of you. And then they just, you know, wave you on your merry way. So there's all this emphasis about your health and the baby's health while you're pregnant. And then when you're postpartum, you're just kind of left out to dry. You're just really on your own to figure out this postpartum world and navigate whatever it is you might be going through, whether it's a physical injury like I had or mental or working through whatever issues you might have with your baby and trying to troubleshoot sleeping or eating or breastfeeding or whatnot. So I was really disappointed in my six-week checkup, which... I'm sure a lot of moms can relate when they're listening. Maybe you're really disappointed in the whole postpartum medical care as well. So at my six-week checkup, I saw, I think it was a physician's assistant, I want to say. And sad to say, I've since switched practices. One of the reasons because I, you know, I just, for some appointments and some important appointments, especially uh, a six-week checkup where I've been having very unique pain that I was really hoping to see a medical doctor to get their expertise and their advice on this really unique situation that I was in. So at my six-week checkup, the physician assistant, all she does is basically check my crotch for stitches. And she says, oh, it looks great. You know, they're healing well. And then she just says, okay, you're cleared for exercise, sex, and going back to work. There were no questions asked other than checking my stitches and obviously my vitals and those sorts of things. But other than that, there were no other questions asked which I was shocked. I I don't know why I just expected her to do some sort of like, don't you want to see like how I'm walking? Don't you want to like watch me walk down the hall to see if I'm limping? (laughs) Because at the time I was 
I was kind of limping around. So I was just more expecting more of a comprehensive examination, which again, most postpartum moms probably don't need that kind of examination, but I definitely felt that I did. And so I just remember sitting there and I didn't fully know how to explain to the PA how I was feeling because it was really hard for me to describe what body parts were hurting since I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not in the medical profession. I'm a lawyer. I don't know. At the time, I didn't know what my sacroiliac joint is, for example, which now I do. And that at the time, that's what was hurting me, my sacroiliac joint. That's what was in excruciating pain. But I didn't know that. So I was just trying to explain to her, yeah, I, you know, deep in my crotch, but it's not my crotch. And it was kind of my groin. It's in my leg where you sit. Felt so stupid trying to explain all these terms to her of where exactly it hurts, since obviously I don't know human anatomy. And I told her, I just said it hurts so bad. And I went on a walk and I was limping and I told her just point blank, I said, I can't go back to work like this. I I don't remember the exact words that I used, but something like, you know, I would just probably sit there and cry all day from being in pain. <laughs> and then finally she she understands that I have something else going on. And this was just me rambling and trying to explain and terrible, terrible explanation I was giving. And she just looks with me, which I could tell like a blank face because I don't think she really was that educated on all the pelvic floor anatomy either. And she just handed me a card and she said, go check out this place. I forgot, they've since changed the name. It basically was a pelvic floor rehabilitation place within their facilities. So she said, just go, just go check this place out. You know, nothing, no background on what might be wrong with me. She didn't say anything about the pelvic floor. She didn't say that how the vast majority of women have some sort of pelvic floor issue after giving birth. She didn't say any of that. So she just handed me the card and said, go there. So I'm clueless. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go check this place out. I have no idea. (laughs) I was kind of a little weirded out too. I was like, um, what do they do with these sorts of places? You know, are they going to be like examining me? (laughs) Is it going to be embarrassing? All these things running through my head. So I call and make an appointment and I'm sure as all moms can relate, it's hard to go places without your kids. You know, you have to, especially when you're exclusively breastfeeding and pumping, you know, you have to take your, either take your baby with you or try to find someone to watch your baby during that time. Obviously this is all pre-coronavirus when you could actually go places and live like a normal human being and, and take your kid with you to different appointments or whatnot. So I make a couple appointments at a couple different public floor physical therapy places just to check them out. I ended up finding this one place only because they accepted my insurance, which ended up being a godsend because that was the best place that I could have gone. So I went to this pelvic floor physical therapist that was actually pretty far of a drive for me. It was about 40 minutes, I want to say one way without traffic but she was definitely worth it because from day one, she knew exactly what I had. It was the very first time that I felt like someone understood what I was experiencing and going through. So after I got my examination done by her, she just said, you know, I know exactly what you have. And she diagnosed me. She said, I have symphysis pubis dysfunction and also sacroiliac joint dysfunction. And when she first said those words, obviously, you know, I'm writing them down or trying to remember them so I can Google them later because I'm thinking these are some crazy big words. I don't know much about human anatomy, but this definitely sounds, sounds like whatever I have because whatever I have is weird and complex. So basically, in a nutshell, what symphysis pubis dysfunction is, also known as SPD, and another name for it is also pelvic girdle pain 
PGP. And I think that they're more moving towards calling it that, the PGP nowadays. But a couple years ago, when I was first diagnosed, the SPD was just what my physical therapist used. And so that's what I'm just used to calling it that. So I'm just going to call it that in this episode. So SPD, it's just in a nutshell, any sort of pain that you experience in the pelvic region. And so I read one statistic that said that at least one in four pregnant women actually develop SPD during pregnancy, but it usually goes away after you give birth. So that's the normal way that most women experience SPD is that you have all this added weight during pregnancy. You have this relaxant, your pelvic joints become stiff or they move unevenly and it can occur in either the front or the back of your pelvis. So sometimes it's even lower back pain, tailbone pain, In my case, it was more pubic bone pain. So that's pain in the very front of your pelvis. And there's such a wide variety of the signs and symptoms that women can experience with SPD. The most common symptoms are exactly what I've shared with you in this episode that was really difficult for me. So it's usually pain focus in the pubic area, although sometimes some women have it in their upper thighs or perineum. And the pain gets worse when you're walking and doing any sort of weight-bearing activities. And usually it also gets worse when you're doing activities that involve lifting one leg at a time so your legs aren't moving together. For example, climbing the stairs. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, when I was postpartum, I was climbing the stairs a lot. Had no idea that that was bad for me. So I was going up and down the stairs all day long, getting dressed, taking your pants on and off because that's hard because you're lifting your legs or getting in and out of the car, or even turning over in bed. All of those things were extremely difficult for me at the time. And my physical therapist told me to always move my legs together. So when I got in and out of the car, instead of just swinging one leg out, I would keep my knees together and move and pivot on my bottom basically to get out of the car. And then same with turning over in bed. So when I would turn over in bed, I would keep my knees together and then turn over in bed that time. So it was just a whole new way of learning how to move throughout my daily life to minimize the pain that was in. And I wish I would have known that in the first eight to 10 weeks that I was postpartum because I was probably making everything worse by just moving my legs separately and walking and going up and down the stairs, doing all these activities. We're taking a quick break from this episode to thank our episode sponsor, Usual Wines. Don't forget to check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use our promo code MOTHERGOOD, $8 off your first order and try your first glass of wine on us. I wanted to talk a little bit about the different types of wine that Usual Wines is offering this summer. They have a red blend, a rosé, and a sparkling white wine called Brut. And just for this summer only, they have a Brut Rosé. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, each bottle of Usual Wines is about a glass and a half of wine. So if you want to enjoy that glass of Rosé or Brut Rosé, and no one else that you're celebrating with enjoys sparkling wine, you can go ahead and pour yourself that glass of sparkling wine and not have to waste the rest of the bottle. And you can enjoy that glass guilt-free as the wine is low carb and has zero grams of sugar. Their wine is shipped directly to your front door so you don't have to go out and brave the grocery stores and masks or whatnot. So don't forget to go check out their website at www.usualwines.com and use the promo code MOTHERGOOD for $8 off your first order. 
And if I even knew that SPD was a thing, that it existed, because I had no idea that this was even a condition that some women have, even though, as I mentioned already, that over one in four pregnant women have this during pregnancy, it would have helped me so much. Just as a little sidebar, during this pregnancy that I'm currently in, I was reading a pregnancy app, and I'm not going to name the name because I don't want to necessarily bash them, but I was really excited because I saw that around 25 weeks, which I'm I'm currently 25 weeks pregnant, that they said, you may develop SPD. And I thought, wow, finally, you know, they're putting in something about SPD for pregnant women since it's such a common condition. But then the only recommendation they put in the app was to do your Kegels, (laughs) which as I said to put a footnote by towards the beginning of this episode, for many women, Kegels are the worst thing that you can do for your pelvic floor. I know if you've been listening to our podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm super passionate about the pelvic floor. And this is why my whole postpartum journey and experience. And we've interviewed a couple different pelvic floor physical therapists on this podcast. And they've both said that women who are hypertensive, so they have a hypertensive pelvic floor, should not be doing their Kegels. And to get into that discussion now, finally, my pelvic floor physical therapist told me that I should not be doing Kegels because I was and still am currently hypertensive. My pelvic floor is hypertensive. So that means that my muscles in my pelvic floor are constantly too tight. And what Kegels do, Kegels essentially are just to strengthen and tighten your pelvic floor. So Someone like me who already has a tight pelvic floor and I'm tightening it more. I think Dr. Betsy on one of our episodes, she described it well when she said that it's kind of like if you have a tight muscle in your leg or your arm or something, and instead of stretching it out, you just exercise it more. You know, that's so counterintuitive. You don't want to exercise or make whatever muscle you have this really tight. You don't want to make it tighter. You want to stretch it out. So what I later learned that I should have been doing during my pregnancy and postpartum were stretches, more stretches, more stretches of my pelvic floor, not more exercising, not more Kegels, because those all tighten my pelvic floor muscles more. I should have been stretching. And it's so easy, you know, at least for me personally, I find stretching and finding the time to stretch a lot easier than finding the time to work out, you know, because you can just fit in like literally a minute of stretching throughout the day. And so you can easily fit in your stretching at different times during the day. If you just take a minute or two to just drop whatever you're doing and do some stretches, that's, it's a very easy thing to incorporate into your daily life are some stretches. So if you know the right stretches to do for your pelvic floor, you can easily alleviate the hypertension that's in your pelvic floor. And again, this is something that I was not told during my pregnancy or postpartum. I didn't even know that it was a thing that existed, so I didn't even know to research it. How do you know to research something that you don't even know exists, right? So getting back to my postpartum story and healing process, what I did at my physical therapy appointments was my physical therapist would basically realign my pelvis at the very beginning of my physical therapy session. And then she would also massage a lot of the ligaments and soft tissue and muscles that connect into the pelvic region, such as the thighs, you know, the buttocks, those areas. And that also helps as well, the massage, because when your muscles are chronically tight, 
it's just pulling on all those muscles that are connected into your pubic bone and into your pelvic floor. So the massage helped as well. And the realignment of my pelvis always felt amazing after every single appointment. It's definitely different than going to a chiropractor, you know, it's, it's not that type of realignment. So my pelvis was basically so misaligned that one leg of mine was slightly longer than the other. And at first when my physical therapist looked at my leg, she thought, oh, are one of your legs longer than the other? And I just, you know, I told her, I was like, not that I know of. I've never had any doctor mention this to me in the past. And then after she realigned my pelvis, my legs were the same length. So it was, it was a physical difference that I experienced. And then the realignment of my pelvis also helped alleviate the pain that I was experiencing. So I always felt great after she had, she had done the realignment, but the realignment, if you have no muscles to support your pelvis doesn't really do much because you need a strong core to hold the alignment together. So basically all of my physical therapy was to strengthen my core. It was all about strengthening my core since after you give birth, you know, you have no core. (laughs) You haven't been using your core for nine months your core has been stretched out, maybe even have a little DR going on. You know, that's the the ab separation that most women get when they're pregnant. There's no core there. It's just a lot of mush. I'm just talking about my own abdomen. It was just, you know, all mush. And if you tried squeezing your abdomen, there's nothing there. So I was just basically strengthening my core because that's what holds your pelvis together, constantly getting my pelvis realigned, and then also doing the stretching since I do tend to be hypertonic. After I went to physical therapy, I went twice a week, I want to say, and I went for about four months. I did try a couple other physical therapists at the same time just to see if I could get any additional insight. But the other physical therapists I saw didn't really help me as much with the issues that I had. So I only mentioned that because if you do think that you need physical therapy and you're seeing a therapist and it doesn't really seem like it's going anywhere or it's helping, there's no rule that says you have to stick with the first physical therapist that you try. And just because you try one doesn't mean that it's a good representation of what a pelvic floor physical therapist should be doing because obviously, you know, there's there's good and bad professionals and every single profession out there. So it doesn't hurt to try another one. So I did try a couple others just to see if I could get other tips and tricks because I was really desperate. I just, I basically just wanted to be able to enjoy my daughter pain-free and the daily pain that I was in was really interfering with, the pain that I was experiencing was really interfering with my daily living. I mean, I couldn't even put in a load of laundry without being in excruciating pain because I just had, I had to either rest or do a minimal amount of exercising as possible. And and it even hurt to get up and bounce my newborn on my shoulder around the room, which, which is so sad. So, I mean, at the time I was just so desperate to recover and get better as quickly as possible, but it did take some time. So after going to physical therapy for, I want to say it was three or four months, about twice a week, finally got to a place where I could at least do household activities most days because I, I still had some bad days without being in excruciating pain. So that was that was a good start. Oh, and, and I did forget to mention that early on in my healing, I did wear one of those, they call them sacroiliac joint belts or the SIJ belts. That's what I wore during postpartum. But there's also some belts that you can wear when you're pregnant. So I recently just purchased, it's called the belly band. And it's something that my my physical therapist recommended to me during this pregnancy. And then my my OB 
actually. My new OB that I switched to, I was shocked that when I was telling him about my pelvic pain that he even knew about the belly band and I you know my jaw dropped and I thought, wow, a doctor is telling me about a solution that can help my pelvic pain, which was just a pleasant surprise. So, you know, I hope that more doctors start to recommend pelvic floor physical therapy and then also just have some some basic working knowledge of pelvic floor issues such as, you know, try a belly band or whatnot, those sorts of things. So anyway, the, the SIJ belt really helped a lot early on in my recovery process just so I, my pelvic floor physical therapist told me it basically held my pelvis together, <laughs> which is kind of sad. It was depressing at the time, but I guess now I can look back and, and kind of chuckle over it because my, my pelvis wasn't even completely together. So it basically would hold everything in and hold it together. And then I was not in a lot of pain when it was all held together. So after three or four months of doing the PT, my physical therapist just told me, you know, I think you've recovered as much as you possibly can by doing PT and the rest will just take time because ligaments, which is what was injured during birth. And I I, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this, I guess I just assume this as part of my story that I, I didn't have any of this pain during pregnancy. So for me personally, it was only postpartum that I experienced it. So it must have happened during labor. Something must have happened to get me to the point that I was at. So my physical therapist just told me it's just going to take time. And sure enough, I did all the physical therapy at home on my own. I had a bunch of home exercises, so I could do most of all the exercises at home and stretches because stretching is really important. And she was right. I mean, about one year postpartum, I want to say I noticed a very big difference in how I was feeling. And I finally felt like I was about 90% myself in terms of the physical activities that I could do. And two years later, I was even more recovered. You know, a Occasionally, I would have a bad day every now and then, but definitely two years postpartum, I felt even better. So it was definitely a long journey to get to complete recovery and a journey that could have been made a lot easier if I would have just had better resources or if pregnant women were just better educated on the pelvic floor. So now you know why. In all the episodes that you listen to about the pelvic floor, why I I tend to go on just my soapbox and just get super passionate about the pelvic floor because I do personally know a lot of moms. In fact, I would probably say if I had to guess like anywhere between 80 to 90% of every mom that I've ever spoken with has some sort of pelvic floor issue related to birth or has had it in the past. And a lot of them don't even know it. You know, one of the common ones that a couple of my friends didn't even know was pelvic floor related was painful sex. You know, I think a lot of women just think that that's something that comes with the territory of being a mom and having a kid, you know, oh, I guess I'm just gonna have painful sex. Or another one is peeing and not being able to control when you urinate. <laughs> that it's, it's, it's actually a joke that's just thrown around so much. And I get it, it's just a joke. And so I try not to take it too seriously, but at the same time I cringe because I wish it wasn't a joke so it wasn't normalizing it so much because no woman should have to accidentally pee her pants when she sneezes or laughs or any time because that's a pelvic floor issue that can be resolved with pelvic floor physical therapy. So I hope you enjoyed listening to my crazy postpartum story and journey. And I really truly hope that it was informative too of just how important the pelvic floor is to our health as a woman 
woman and as a mother. I'm really looking forward to sharing the stories of other moms that we've already recorded and also any moms who are listening right now who have a story that they want to share for informational purposes. You know, I'm really looking forward to hearing your story as well because it seems like a lot of us moms don't necessarily always talk about our experiences and what we've been through in motherhood. And I truly believe that our stories need to get out there more so we can normalize the conversations surrounding our stories and our issues. And then also just to help other moms and know that there's other moms who have gone through what we've gone through or something similar, or it could even be something completely different, but that they've gone through an experience just like you've gone through an experience, a difficult experience. And just knowing that can help the journey through motherhood as well. As a little caveat on the end, this isn't related to my postpartum story, but I wanted to share a little story from my current pregnancy because also a very weird, for lack of better word, situation that I found myself in, which I later found out is super common. Once again, shockingly, you know, there's all these medical situations that I found myself in and just think I'm some weirdo who's experiencing some rare situation and then find out, oh, this is super common. So (laughs) my current pregnancy when I was about, gosh, I want to say 13, 14 weeks pregnant, I was just sitting on the couch at home and it felt like I had to go to the bathroom, felt like I had to urinate. And so I went to the bathroom and I could not, I couldn't pee. And I thought, well, that's weird. And so I just, I thought, well, maybe I'll just go sit down and watch some more TV. My daughter has already gone to bed. And I just mentioned it to my husband. I was like, oh, that was weird. You know, I just tried to pee and I couldn't. And so I drink a little bit of water and I thought, well, maybe it was just a fluke. And so I'm sitting there and and like an hour later, I'm like, wow, no, I really, have to go. So I go back to the bathroom. I still can't pee. I'm like, okay, well now I'm starting to get worried because I know I drink a lot of water. I know I definitely have to pee. I haven't peed for a while. Like I should have to go. And so at this point I'm thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't drink any more water because if I can't go, that's, that's not really that great. So me having all of my pelvic floor knowledge, I assume right away, oh, it's a pelvic floor issue, you know? So then I try all my pelvic floor breathing exercises, stretches, all this stuff and try to relax. I'm like, well, maybe it's all my head, you know, and then obviously the more you think about it, then the more it gets in your head. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle. So I'm like, well, this isn't really going anywhere. It's hard to not think about having to pee when you really have to go, you know, it's kind of how you're going to get around that fact that you have really have to go. How are you supposed to not think about that? You know? So I tried so many, I tried everything that I could possibly think of, tried Googling it, tried everything. Google said, Dr. Google, right? Then I find myself about midnight or one. And this had been going on since around dinner time. And by this point, I look like seven months pregnant, even though at 14 weeks pregnant, I wasn't showing at all. So I had this big belly because I had to pee so bad. Bladder was just extremely large at this point. And there's no way I'm going to go to bed at midnight or one, when I haven't peed in however many, six, seven hours, there's no way I can fall asleep. And then also I'm thinking this isn't healthy to fall asleep if I can't pee, because I thought, well, maybe if I fall asleep for a little bit, then I'll wake up and I can go. But I couldn't even lay down because I just had to go so bad, you know, when you're on those long road trips and you just really have to go and you're like, oh, getting to the next exit so I can use the restroom. And it just seems like it takes forever to get there. I I was in that sort of situation. So I'm just waiting and waiting. and, And then finally, I think it was one or two in the morning. I just told my husband, gosh, we're going to have to go to the ER during a pandemic, (laughs) which 
we were at the time, you know, everyone was pretty much in lockdown across the entire United States. No one had really opened up. And I obviously was terrified of going to the ER, especially being pregnant because I didn't want to get coronavirus. But I thought, you know, I really have no option. So I, I went to the hospital. And since I was not in my second trimester yet, I couldn't go to the pregnancy ER, which really sucked. So I had to go to the regular ER. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am, 14 weeks pregnant, completely quarantined for all of my pregnancy, being super cautious. And now I'm walking into an ER in the middle of a pandemic. It was just the worst possible situation I could think of, but I really had to pee, you know? So I, I I mean, I was just, when I got into a room or just pacing around and jumping up and down and I just felt it was bad. I was just, I had no shame because at that point I just, I had to go. And it took forever, it seemed like forever, at least for the doctor to come see me. And then they're like, as soon as the doctor saw me, he just said, wow, you have to pee. (laughs) Like, yes, that's all that's wrong with me. I don't know why I can't go. And so then I had to get a catheter. uh, And then they sent me home in a catheter, which... I was not expecting at all. I just thought they would, you know, once they, I don't know, I guess I just wasn't expecting to be sent home in a catheter. And that is painful. Let me tell you that. And then I had to go wait. I think it was two days before I went in to see my doctor and they took it out, showed me how to do a self catheter in case it happened again, which thankfully didn't because I don't think I could ever self catheter myself, even with the instruction, because It was just, yeah, too much going on, especially when you really have to pee. I don't even know how you can focus to to be able to perform that procedure on yourself as a non-medical professional. So thankfully for the rest of my pregnancy so far, it hasn't happened again. It was really difficult to urinate for a couple weeks after that happened though, but I figured out these tricks and this whole ritual that I would have to go through just to pee, which was ridiculous. You know, I'd have to take a warm bath and then try and then do this and try and breathe and try and all this stuff and try. And then it would take 45 minutes to an hour many times just to be able to go. Somehow I came out of that process with no UTI, thank God. I mean, I'm literally thanking God that I didn't get a UTI during that time. I don't know how that happened. And my OB told me that this is actually something really common that he sees with pregnant women. That I guess in the last part of your first trimester, the uterus is still sitting pretty low in your pelvis. So your uterus is right behind your bladder. And as a baby's expanding in the first trimester, and it's still the baby's still sitting so low in your pelvis, sometimes it will press, the baby will press against your bladder and kind of kink it. So you, you like physically can't go pee. <laughs> and so once again, I just experienced this most random and weird pregnancy experience that I have never heard of ever. You know, I mentioned it to all my close girlfriends and they're all like, never heard of that. Sorry you went through that and probably secretly laughing like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. I mean, it's still embarrassing for me to talk about right now, but I mean, there's no other way to describe it. You know, you just you just can't go. Anyway, if you've listened to my whole postpartum story and now you've listened to this little random pregnancy story at the very end, you get a gold star for listening because you've made it through a lot. 
I just wanted to share that last story. I just think this last story is more hilarious, but also still important because again, when I was going through it, when I was pregnant, I thought I was just having a rare, like I'm like the only person in the entire, the only pregnant person in the entire world who has had this before. And then I find out that it's actually fairly common to have this towards the end of the first trimester. And then once the baby starts ascending and it's higher in your abdomen and out of your pelvic region and also your bladder region, then it just resolves. And that's exactly what happened to me. So thankfully, haven't had that issue since then. But if you find yourself in the first trimester, you know, towards that end and having difficulty peeing, just don't feel like you're alone. And with that, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in, all of our loyal listeners. We have a very large and solid fan base of listeners who turn in every single episode. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. And again, if there's a story that you would like to share, I would love to interview you on the podcast. So just send us a DM and our Instagram or an email to mothergoodco at gmail.com. Or if there's a topic or a person that you would like us to interview, feel free to suggest that as well. We love suggestions and getting feedback from all of you. And we're just so appreciative of all of your support. So thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, 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 oh,